Hey guys, Dylan from Art of the Float here to talk to you about our upcoming roundtable discussion on March 1st. I really want to see you there. It's going to be an exciting community event where we're going to be talking about defining your brand. We're getting good at water maintenance, we're getting good at soundproofing, but we're not great at filling up our float tanks with customers. Our industry's marketing game needs to improve, so we here at Art of the Float are hosting community roundtable discussions online to improve our marketing game. I think the most important thing about branding is the fact that it's the base for all of your marketing. Join Amy, Lance, myself, and the rest of the Float community as we get together and deep dive into what a brand is, how it benefits your business, and how it brings customers through your door. Defining your brand is our first roundtable experience of 2017, and we'll set you up for future marketing roundtables throughout this year. There's no need to waste your valuable time and money. This is a small investment that will potentially save you thousands of dollars and certainly hundreds of hours over the lifetime of your business. Go to artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable and see our full list of roundtable discussions happening in 2017. Sign up now. And we'll see you on March 1st. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of running our float centers and where we love to give tips on starting and running your own float center. You can find us, as always, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias on Art of the Float, and join the conversation. Leave a speak pipe on artofthefloat.com. That's where you can find show notes, links, pictures of anything we discuss on the show. But uh, what we love is hearing your actual voice. If you're on a computer, it's the uh, gold bar on the left side of the screen. If you click on that, you can leave a voicemail. If you're on an Android or iPhone device, just uh, go to the App Store and uh, look for SpeakPipe, and uh, you can leave a message while you're in traffic, if you like. So uh, let's get started here. I'm, I'm Dylan Calm. I own the float shop with my wife, Sandra, who is over nine months pregnant, and uh, we'll be having a baby any minute, I have my phone at the ready to find out if uh, I have to leave the show to um, go have a baby. Uh, we own the float shop in Portland, Oregon, and I'm joined with Amy of Float Nashville. How are you doing tonight, Amy? I am fantastic. Thank nice. you so much for asking. <laughs> Loving this unusually warm weather in the middle of November. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Is that right? We had some uh, some really beautiful sunshine up here in Portland as well. I, it's funny when we synchronize across across the country like that. Yeah. I'm also joined by Lance of the Float Shack in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. What's up, Lance? Hey, everyone. I'm going to carry that synchronicity over because it's been extremely, I wouldn't even say warm. It's like mildly hot um, here, you know, and I know I think a month back I, I showed you there's almost a foot of snow we had. <laughs> yeah. And now it's it's actually, I don't know what it is, 17 degrees, which that's warm for the, you know, November. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, things have been good. Feels like it's been a productive week. Get lots done, lots of cleaning before the snow hits. So, yeah. So you don't, think, you don't think you're all done with the snow? <laughs> oh, no, the snow is going to come. It's, once we get our, our next dump of snow here, it's, it's not going to go away until April probably. So. Okay. Fair um, enough. Yeah. My, I might even be able to get another lawn mode before the snow hits, and that's sort of unheard of in November. So pretty wow. excited about that. Lucky you. Lucky you. <laughs> Living it up in Canada. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, I want to hear about you guys this week, but first I want to give a shout out to Floataway, of course. They're, they're the makers of the Float Rounds, the Floataway Tranquility, all sorts of 
awesome float tanks that I love and, and well, I think everybody who floats in them loves them. Uh, the thing I wanted to mention tonight was their color therapy option. Uh, their newer float tanks have the option to display a full spectrum of different colors inside and outside of the float tank, which uh, I was really enjoying while we were photographing Sandra, again, at nine months pregnant, in, in the float tank uh, a few weeks ago. Just being able to mess around with that and see like what was going to match her bathing suit and what just uh, made the color look prettiest or the the uh, outside of the the float tank look the prettiest. Um, so of course it's great for your clients, but um, you know it's nice to be able to sell your float tank with with the lighting as well. So if you're interested in a float away float tank, go to www.floataway.com. We are big fans of them over here. And uh, my goodness, Amy, what's going on? What's going on with you? So, so much, uh, actually. A um, few things I thought about, y'all, while I was working this week. And the first thing was, you know, I was having this conversation with a client um, or someone who wanted to be a client, someone who wanted to float. Um, but they asked the question, well, what do I, what can I expect? Hmm. And it made me realize, this happened twice this week, and it made me realize, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to think of new things to say about floating. And sometimes it feels very, uh, you know, being a float center, that's all we do is floating. Sometimes it feels a little restrictive. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to think of something new, but all we do is floating. And I feel like I've covered every single topic a million times. But it's when I hear these questions that I'm reminded that, you know, those basics, things that we don't even think about anymore, the basics of floating, it's like, well, of course, everybody takes a shower before and after. Not everyone knows that. Not everyone remembers that. Right. So it reminded, I had a big reminder to get back to basics this week, nice. to go back to the website and talk about things like, you know, what do you, what happens when you walk in our front door? You know, there is going to be something to fill out. You are going to be uh, given an orientation. Those little things that maybe we don't think about are super, super important to people who are considering doing something that to them might be super different, that might be a little intimidating, something they've never even heard of before. And uh, yeah, it's a good reminder, good reminder that we don't have to get fancy. Basics right. yes. are often overlooked. Back to the basics. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, can, basics. I can relate with you so well on that. I think after you do enough repetitions, like as, as you become just an embodiment of floating and an understanding of what's going on inside and around the tank. That's, that's kind of where your interest is. It's just where your head is at. And to make sure that you're thinking about where the client's head is at is, is the most important part. Like where are they coming from? Their first time coming into your building. Yeah. I, I've, I've absolutely been there. So, um, was that you yourself yeah. talking to clients and going like, Oh my gosh, I have to refine or, or employees. It was, it was me who had uh, that conversation twice in the last week, which was kind of crazy. So if I know if I'm getting that conversation twice, I'm not there as often as, or I'm not answering the phone as often as our employees or as often as my, my partner, Mark. And how many more times are they hearing it? How many more times are they having to repeat this information? Mm -hmm. So here I am sitting at home, I'm sitting at my home office trying to get some writing done, uh, trying to think about things that I need to tell my people about. And, and this is it this is it. It's taking a step back and looking at the experience through new eyes and relaying that information. Super important. Do you have a defined elevator speech for new people coming in that your employees are kind of scripted on? Our employees are 
given free reign, but what we do in their, in their booklets that they receive when they start working with us, we actually have speaking points like, you know, here are three different tanks. These are the things you can say about each tank or some things you might want to point out on each tank. Here is what happens. Here are the, you know, the outline of what happens when people walk in so that our employees do kind of have, even though they use their own words, they know what, what things need to be conveyed to the customers. So we do have outlines so that employees are being consistent because I think it's consistency is important. Mm -hmm. One thing I yeah. noticed before we did that, people were giving different answers. Like we had one employee who was saying, oh, if you're a new client, because of her experience, by the way, she was pushing everybody into the open tank. It's like, well, just because they're a new oh, client doesn't mean they need to go in the open tank. <laughs> that might be real for you. Right. But here's how we want to handle that. And uh, yeah, we want to get that consistent with our employees so that the same information is going out that over feels, and over again. That feels very similar to the, to the float shop. And now that we've been podcasting for a year, I don't know if those are my ideas or your ideas or where, <laughs> where they end and begin, but that, that sounds all very familiar. Yeah. Uh, Lance, I want to ask you, do you also, do you have a um, pre-written speech for somebody who walks in at the first time? Do you walk your employees for how they should talk about it or is it pretty open-ended? Well, we basically essentially, well, essentially there's a list of points that need to be uh, achieved and how they get to those, um, that's up to them. So awesome. we, that sort of lets them to be themselves as an individual and, you know, present it how it feels most comfortable for them. And we're still achieving everything that needs to be done. So. That's so great. When, when we first opened, I thought these were novel concepts that I was coming up with about how we should talk to employees and like all this stuff. And so funny, everybody's uh, right there. It just, it's it what makes sense and empowers your employees. And you also connect with the customers and they get the right information. That's awesome. I guess what I'm trying to say is we're all clearly geniuses and we should be proud of ourselves for that. <laughs> I assume that's what that means. I, I can only assume <laughs> I'm feeling pretty smart tonight. We'll just go with it for um, tonight anyway. What is the customer advocacy yeah. playbook? Yeah. So this is a tool that I found this week that I wanted to share with everyone. Um, I noticed here and there, I've seen the conversation pop up on Float uh, Collective. I know that we've kind of skirted around the issue of Float Ambassadors. And this week, uh, actually it was last week, Sujan Patel, who is an online marketer, sent out an email with a free download to something that he wrote called the Customer Advocacy Playbook. Its uh, subtitle is How to Create, Manage, and Grow an Effective Brand Advocacy Campaign. So basically, you can substitute the word advocacy for ambassador. Uh, but what I like about this, there's a lot of good information. If people are looking to start an ambassador program, this whole PDF booklet or this download, it basically helps you identify and leverage your, your big fans, your most enthusiastic float fans. And helps you develop a program to have them help you create new business. So it's somewhere between an advocacy program and a referral program. Um, it gives you some verbiage that you can use. It gives you some online tools you can use. And while I can't or I wouldn't use all the tools that are recommended, um, and there's a lot of information that may not necessarily apply to the float industry, I found it to be a really useful document and something that I enjoyed looking through. And there's definitely some things that I pulled from there that I'm tucking away for that time when I'm when I need to either answer a question or I'm 
or I'm tightening up my referral program. So I would like to, in the show notes, put a, uh, a link to that download and hopefully someone will find it as helpful as I did. Awesome. This That's week. great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being our uh, our ambassador to other people. Uh, well, I guess uh, Lance has Gary V, so he has informed us of that. But um, you showed me um, a website where people do free webinars, and I can't think of what the name of that is at the moment. Creative Live? Creative Live, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And um, I've been using that. I, I, I love it, to be honest. Love them. I've gotten a lot out of it, and I love that these people are willing to – give samples that are kind of meaty that have some really good information in there. So thanks for sharing that. I encourage everybody to check out the show notes yeah. for that. Yes. And the great thing, I'm just going to slip that in about creative live. It is free. I mean, the information is meaty and it's free. If you catch it on the live play, if you go back to the replay, you do have to pay for it, but every week they send out the schedule and I always pick and choose a few things. I always find at least one that's of value. And I try to make that, um, that live, uh, play of it so that I can I can grab that information. So, yeah, I I love sharing those. Uh, I love sharing the love and love sharing those um, uh, the things that can help us all. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Lance. I'm excited here. There's uh, some new logo work going on. What's this? What's going on? Yeah. Well, we've I've sort of talked about this for quite some time now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've been redesigning our logo and. Um, yeah, we got our first drafts back. And we're quite happy with it. It's completely different than what we have now, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be different. We're basically going with just a basic text logo. It's just going to say Float Shack, and then we're going to have what we call an emblem. It's just like a round sort of stamp. I guess it worked perfect as a stamp, but just a circular emblem that there's a bit of geometry in it. It portrays a few things that we want to portray through our logo without really defining anything. Mm -hmm. Um, You would have no idea it has anything to do with floating or the float shack or anything else, but um, it's just something we're going to try rolling with and see how it goes. We're quite excited for it and this is coming with a huge list of print material and website redesign and all of this oh, other right. fun stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited for it. But, uh, yeah, it's coming. So do you have a specific person doing it? Are you doing the, what is it, 99designs? How, how are you approaching No, it? this is um, a graphic designer, a local graphic designer here from Red Deer that um, – they were floating with us. They've done some photography for us. Um, yeah, we've just been working with them in and in and out for quite some time. And um, we decided when we would, were doing our rebranding and cleaning everything up that uh, we wanted them to do it for us. So nice. Yeah, it's that's awesome. Different. I think the last time our first logo was done by a friend, but for other projects, I've used uh, Design Crowd, similar to Ninety Nine Designs, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's cool working with somebody who understands your business and what you want to portray, um, how you want to make it feel. And yeah, it's just a cool approach. So would you still recommend that people use uh, kind of the, the crowdsource design uh, websites or do you think it's best to go with somebody oh, and or does it depend on where you're at with your business? and your Yeah, that's totally that's totally up to you. There's I am all 100 percent go for any crowdsourcing you know, logo work, but it all depends what you want to get out of it. We got a long list of items we want done. So 
Um, we really wanted to break down our fonts, our color schemes, what we want to portray, how we want to make it feel. And then when we do all our business cards, our brochures, our leaflets, our stickers, our blah, 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 you know, we have a whole list of things. It's going to come a lot easier than having to, you know, work with design crowd, get a designer, and then the next project, you know, find someone else and make that consistent. It's just... Um, yeah, we we got a ton of work coming, so <laughs> that's why we're working uh, with a specific designer. Sweet. Are you going to keep doing that throughout the holiday season, or are you going to wait till next year? Uh, well, I think it's just going to keep rolling along. It's sort of, got it. it always takes longer than expected. So, oh, let me you tell know. you, absolutely. We, our website, I think, might be coming up on a year old, and nobody's ever seen it outside of Sandra and I. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So good times. Um, yeah. Anything else? And I've I've also had some some wicked thrifts this week. So I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge man for thrift shopping. <laughs> um, Goodwill, we call it Value Village up here. Salvation Army. But you're um, a fan of designer sweaters. I don't understand. Where <laughs> do you think I get these collector items? <laughs> Not all my, almost, I would say, I would say 85% of my wardrobe comes from a thrift store. <laughs> and their collector's items will say, you can't just go to any old shelf and pick up this sweater that was made in 1973 from some <laughs> bohemian llama fur. <laughs> I don't know. Well, once, it, once Lance has worn it, obviously it's a collector's item, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, the cool part about our business and how we got a lot of our feel is um, a lot of it has been from thrift stores or it's been from dumpsters that we've taken out of and reclaimed and wow. fixed up or, you know, got a friend to build for us. And um, we got a lot of unique things that you'll never see anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has cost me less than five bucks. So um, I spend a lot of time in thrift stores, especially in my free time, 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 when I, time, when I, when I, when I want to clear, clear my mind, I just go walk down the aisles and the endless amounts of old people's, shouldn't say old people's, people's old stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Something, something's amusing so about that to me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just got a, a bunch of good thrifts, got the, the shack loaded up with some good items and I found like a $400 Breville coffee pot that I got for $20 and uh, I'm pretty proud of that. So, um, nice. yeah, it's how I wake up to my morning coffee. I've converted my, um, alarm clock to pair with my hue lights and my Breville coffee machine. So it grinds and brews me a pot of coffee when I want to wake up and it's allowed me to uh, get out of bed with a little more enthusiasm, <laughs> let's say. But this is only like three days in the in the go. We'll see how long this lasts for. That is phenomenal. Wow. The the future is now. That's impressive. That's um one more thing about the hue lights. I know that's came up yep. episode after episode, but um there are countless amounts of apps that you can compare to these hue lights. And I use um uh oh, I forget what it's called right now. I'm sorry. I use an alarm clock app. That pairs with my hue lights, so when um, you wake up in the morning, it can simulate a sunrise, so your lights can slowly, slowly fade on, and it goes from sort of a reddish to an orangish, and then comes to what looks like a daylight, so it sort of eases you into waking up, and you can pair a lot of these smart devices um, in your float center or around you um, to make life a bit easier. Would you so. mind... Embrace the After technology. The show, would you mind uh, getting that app name, and we'll put that in the show notes? 
yes, I will. I don't know why it slipped my mind. I, I do apologize about that. I'm, I'm sure you don't have anything else on your mind. It's fine. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, uh, I have a little little thing. I, I, not not an announcement for the float shop. It's an announcement, which is we're going to start opening on Tuesdays, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, we do maintenance on Tuesdays. And normally that also means an insane amount of construction. And sometimes we'll also close on a Monday or a Wednesday as well. So we don't just have to put all the tools away and then break them out again, you know, for such a small amount of time. And uh, we're kind of ramping down on construction. There are certainly things to be done, but if they need to be done, I have to wake up or whoever's going to do the work needs to wake up and be there early because floats will start at noon and uh, we'll be open from noon till 10 p.m. So that's, uh, that's where we're at with that. Uh, switching to odd hours was also discussed. No decisions were actually made yet. This was brought up by our, our staff, by the way, to be open on Tuesdays. So um, uh, let's see here. Uh, please. I, can, I, can, I just want to add into that yeah, odd hours yeah. thing. Um, we switched to odd hours at the beginning of 2016 um, because a lot of people around here have finished work around – Four, four thirty, uh, sometimes five. But uh, when we did the even hours, we'd only be able to get people for six p.m. and eight p.m. floats. Um, when we switched to odd hours, our evening floats, which are always our busiest floats, we were able to get five, seven, and nine p.m. So we actually increased our profits quite a bit just by going from the even hours to the odd hours, but. In return, we're now or we're now there an hour later. All right, yeah, so. an hour later, and I think we'd also be an hour earlier as well. So um, I'm just happy I don't work there as a staff member anymore because I, there's no way I'd be waking up that early to open the shop. But we've got a lot of early risers working for us, so that'd be yeah. We sort of pushed our schedule, so we started an oh, hour I later, see. Cool. and. Um, yeah, we're closed. Okay. The way it was sold to Sandra and I, but again, this was pushed by our staff, was uh, we'd actually be able to fit in another entire float time by doing that. So that would, if they're filled, would obviously be increased revenue during mm-hmm. uh, the entire day. But I love how you're selling it of uh, those those final three times in the evening time, which are obviously prime time. That's that's good stuff. So mm-hmm. what we decided is that we're actually going to send a survey out to our uh, members first just to test the waters, have three options. Like, would you would this work better for you? Would it be worse for you? Or are you going to find a float a way to float no matter what? And we'll be able to really see what our members think um, and then uh, move from there. Uh, but in the meantime, we're open on Tuesdays uh, starting next week, which is cool. It'll come out in, a, in an email blast. And, uh, yeah, so that's exciting. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. We don't expect it to fill up immediately. We know it won't be an immediate revenue bringer inner, but we do think that as people learn about it, it will, will start to fill up. So I'm excited about that. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, I don't want this to be the baby podcast, but by all means, so many decisions are being based around having a baby right now, and uh, there's no better time to write an essay than the night before it's due. Like I, I, that's just kind of how we're wired. I don't think it's just me. And um, while there's a bit of a soft date of when this essay is due, uh, we don't know when the, the baby's actually going to come out. But uh, we're really feeling the pressure. Like. Uh, 
their signs are being made, the website being updated, um, assessing these hours, those kind of things, getting this out of the way, writing our Christmas email beforehand, deciding the holiday sales, all of this beforehand is uh, finally something that we should be doing every year. We're, re- we're finally motivated to actually do rather than do it last minute, which means it's not going to be as high quality and it's not going to connect with our customers as well as we want, which of course means decreased revenue as well. Um, so I'm excited about that, and uh, I think I think we're doing a a nice job of that. Uh, Also, we're even going to try and completely change our membership in December as well to finally switch over to the single membership. And actually, while we're talking, I just I I hope we're not going too long here, but uh, you know we do massage, and we really want to push massage. And while we are the float shop, and that makes it seem like floats are our number one thing, I want people to come in for massages only. I want that to be a possibility. And I also want them to have a membership that works for that. And so we're really trying to figure out how to have a, a one priced option where if you're only floats, really simple, you know, like you, you pay this much, you get a float and all the others are discounted. Awesome. But um, my thinking is you pay X amount and that just discounts everything. You don't get anything. Sandra can't stand that idea. She thinks that you should get something with your payment, which does resonate with me, but do they have to make a decision? Is it a massage or is it a float? Would they like to flip-flop? I'm sure Mind Body and Helm don't immediately switch uh, to those different things, you know. So we have to figure out how we're going to how we're going to do this or have two memberships with which again kind of defeats the purpose of what we're aiming for. So do you guys have the magic answer? No. No. Yeah. You know, when we had <laughs> massage, we struggled with the same thing and it got mm. so out of control and so crazy that uh i'm like okay we cannot do this so when we took away massage it was almost a relief because i couldn't find that that answer but if anybody can do it you can dylan i'm looking forward to see what you do because <laughs> it is i think it is an issue for a lot of people with float centers with multiple modalities uh, yeah. so i'm looking forward to seeing what that what that answer is for you well i'll, I'll be happy to report to you our success or our failure uh, that, and that is one thing we 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 fail. That that happens. We've had plenty of things fail, and uh, we, we're just going to learn from those things. So the next thing, we'll we'll do our best and see what we can learn from it. Speaking never of which, a failure, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it depends yeah. how you want how you want to yeah. look at it for sure and word it. Um, <laughs> I uh, also should probably mention just people who are tracking the float shop. Uh, we have found a, and I've mentioned in the past that our uh, yoga studio is moving out. We have found a new yoga studio to move in. Uh, Grinning Yoga, who also has two locations up in Washington and one here in Portland is opening another out of the float shop. And uh, so it's the same owner and uh, it's kind of fun because the owner is uh, five months pregnant. So uh, <laughs> we'll be sharing babies here pretty soon too not that that had anything to do with our very intense business making decisions but uh it is kind of fun (laughs) oh my goodness so let's see here uh we're gonna bring on our guest here in just a moment aaron douglas he owns a place to float i want everybody to to uh get a chance to know aaron here there's a lot of really exciting things going on with him opening his business but first i do want to give a shout out to helm of course uh helm is what uh it's the only scheduling software designed from the ground up specifically for float centers there's so much that they do not just uh scheduling floats and i believe you can uh, schedule massages now as well in case you are doing multiple modalities but uh also uh you, you can track your uh, all the metrics of your water for your float tanks. You can do employee scheduling. You can manage projects in this. 
it is a ridiculous suite of different pieces of software packed into one. And as I learned from Graham recently, they have a 100% retention rate. They have never had anybody leave who was using it. So uh, I don't believe there's anybody else who can claim those kind of numbers. So uh, go ahead and check them out. And floathelm.com is where you want to go to get started. And then you can start talking to the team about what Floathelm can do for you and your business. Aaron Douglas, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, hey, for, uh, long time, first time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> how come you haven't left any speed pipes, Aaron? I'm... I still can't figure out how to make it work on a phone. Ah, it's so bad. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. You got to download the app, yeah, which everybody wants I'm to spend out. the time. I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we pay good money for that, all right? <laughs> I want to I hear from you next week commenting on this episode on SpeakPipe. <laughs> well, you might. If you have the time. So um, so where are you located? Well, we're out here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm actually originally from Portland. That's um, right. That's grew right. up there my first 20-some years. Moved out to Indiana for grad school, met a girl, and that kind of worked itself out. Um, but yeah, I've been here about 14 <laughs> years now. And uh, three years ago, decided Indianapolis needed a float center. Awesome. So uh, we... You know, I got some feedback recently about the podcast that they were listening to it and they went, oh, this is for somebody who already owns a float center. And I wanted to get more people on on the show who are in the process of opening a float center and, and what we can learn from, from the actual process. So um, I want to learn a little bit more about you first. I mean, I guess I already know a lot about you. Uh, but um, what got you into floating and what made, inspired you to actually want to start a float center? Um, I... I... I've been aware of floating for a while. You know, I listen to Joe Rogan. Um, nice. I've always been interested in just sort of experience threshold stuff. Um, but it was a marketing project where I was researching float tanks. Um, and I was aware, but I'd never tried it. I guessed that there would be some in Portland, and I was right. Uh, so when I came out to visit, the float shop was actually my very first float. Um, and that would totally have been... awesome. Four years ago? Uh, what float tank were you in? I was in the double. The, the double. Floatarium. The floatarium, yeah. Right. Now that we have yeah. Nautilus, it's, they're, they're both about the same size, so we've kind of lost that description. But uh, yeah, cool. Awesome. No, but it was, it was magnificent. I certainly fell in love. I floated uh, that week that I was in town. I floated at Float Shop again another time, and it flowed on a couple times. And just, wow was was hooked uh, for that week and then didn't get to float for another year wow okay okay <laughs> and so, in the meantime was it percolating in your head what, what's going on yeah so um, immediately the thought is and i i imagine this is anybody who falls in love with yoga or rock climb or any type of activity you do it you're like how how can i do this all the time how can i make this mm -hmm. a, a daily part of my life mm -hmm. So one, proximity, of course, was a problem. And then just general accessibility. Uh, there is a place, at the time, there was a place here in Indiana, but it was about two and a half hours south of Indianapolis. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was, it was a nice experience, but it's a hell of a drive. Right. Um, so I've, I have made the, not mistake, but I've made the assumption in the past that loving something and being able to have a business doing something, they're, they're not really related. Um, and so I let it just be a love for oh, about a year or so. 
And then the second time I came out to Portland, I floated every day. Um, yeah, I think, I think eight, eight days in a row wow. that I was here. And uh, during that time, I really, my, the other side of my brain started going, well, let's think about this from a cost, revenue, from a business model standpoint. Interesting, yeah. And all of a sudden, it became very interesting in that not only could I find a way to make this available for myself and you know, my friends and family and everyone I care about, but that there may be a business behind it. So I started looking into it. Um, there wasn't a lot to find. There were a lot of different examples. Uh, there's a place out in Asheville, North Carolina called Still Point Wellness that I went to. Mm -hmm. That had uh, that was just it was a lovely experience. We were on vacation. The people there were wonderful, and just between those three or four places I had been, just starting to think about you know how could we make a go at this. Cool. I thought we could open a float center with like thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a point in time when this whole thing was just a dumb idea. Oh, uh, funny, right? Yeah. So three years ago, yes, it is three years ago, and, I'll, and I can tell you why. Um, so three years ago, I went to my first float conference, and oh, I did cool. that. Uh, I did the workshops, the construction workshop, the conference, and then the week-long apprenticeship following it. And what I learned is that it was going to cost ten times what I expected. Um, the I was going to have to learn about things that I didn't even understand what they were yet getting into the HBAC, it wasn't as simple as building an office or um, even, you know, a tanning salon, for example. <clears throat> so three, three years ago, August, I decided, learning what I had to learn, realizing we had to come up with a bunch of money, but still having the vision and the passion about it, uh, talked to my wife and said, you know, I've got a business now, but I want to start the second one. I, I, I want to know that you're okay with that. Uh, and she was all in support of it, which was great. And then a couple months later, we found out we were pregnant with our first. <laughs> and this was before, all I knew at this point was this was going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And You're I didn't know how, the, the, baby? the float center, or the baby. <laughs> the baby's going to cost a million. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, every time I, someone's like, we're pregnant, I'm like, you must be rich. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so it was kind of a gut check of, is this the time to do it? And her, her point, my concern was about the resources and attention and time away from the family. And her comment was, what are you going to wait? Like well, what, till he, till he goes to college or, you know, until we retire or when, when are you going to do this? If not now. Huh. So she's, she's been a huge champion for me on that. Awesome. Um, so that then started the process of figuring out how are we going to build a float center? Um, and having, well, having at the time having nothing locally to draw off of, and having very little personal experience. And what was your vision in this rough state? Was it three tanks in a wellness center? I mean, what what was your picture in your head at this time? Well, it was definitely all float. Okay. Um, and it was just kind of a, a vision of what happens if you do this at scale. So like Still Point was uh, great, one of my favorite float experiences. I think they have a float lab cabin. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, did I, did I want to open a single tank? Did we want to try to do a, th a smaller but, but manageable three tank? Did we want to do six? And I swear 
at some point a decision was made because of the podcast. You guys have only been on a year, so I think if anything, Amy, many, many months ago, you said a three-tank center is about break-even um, for an owner-operator who wants a, a decent paycheck and all that. Uh, and so I, I think that was a um, reminder of why we wanted to go big. And then in talking with a friend who owns a spa, I was explaining how we were going to build prep some rooms but not build them out in case we needed to expand later and she was very adamant about if you think you're going to go six just start six because it's it's too expensive to incrementally add things as you go um, and now in hindsight knowing the infrastructure that goes into place for a float room like 90 percent of the expense <laughs> is just having the room available to put right. a float tank in mm -hmm. so there was there was no reason to hold back on that cool uh, so you just had imaginary money that would pay for all the float tanks and everything at this point, I'm assuming? As, as with many things in my life, I was confident I could figure this out. Okay. <laughs> um, and I would say, you guys used a, a word before earlier that um, I've been thinking a lot about. And it's, it's the word failure because I think we yeah. overuse it. I think we overblow failure when usually what we mean is something hasn't worked out yet or it didn't work nice. out the way I want. Um, I failed at almost every aspect of this so far, and we, we don't even open for three weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, there, there isn't an area I, that I nailed on the first pass, uh, that's for sure. I've always, you may have heard me talk in previous episodes, but I've always referred to those as lessons. It's a better way to think about it. You know, it. you're trying, you know, you have the best intentions when you're going into it. It doesn't work out as you initially planned. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you're in the wrong. It just means you've learned something from that. So as you move forward, hopefully you don't make that same, you know, choice or decision that you previously made that had a negative out outcome. Yeah, and... Is that a good Absolutely. way of, you know, explaining my lessons yeah. theory? <laughs> can, I, can I go on a slight tangent here? I, I don't know that I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but I did MMA since I was 13 years old. And for years, I would uh, quote-unquote fail every time I went into the ring. People tapped me out so easily, and, and there was nobody in my, in my weight class. So, I mean, just it was I was just being uh, mopping, the, mopping the floor with me. And it wasn't for... I think two years until I legitimately tapped somebody out. And if I had just thought of those as complete failures at the time, there's no way I would have showed up again, but I was able to just time and time and time again, use those as lessons and lessons as my body filled out a little bit, but also you really learn those lessons and you really understand, you know, balance and movement and, and all that stuff, uh, which I'm sure is very similar in, in at least, I, I truly do believe very similar in the rest of life as well. Like those, those lessons are pretty much the same thing. So slight tangent, but just a, the way I've learned that, that lesson of failure, or at least not taking the word failure as necessarily a, a negative. Yeah. And it's really, it's, it, you only failed once you quit um, ah, and until it's over. And this came from, could have been, uh, what, what's the uh, football movie with James Vanderbeek? Varsity Blue. I don't Could have want been Varsity Blue. <laughs> Something along the lines of winners finish. And it was just a mm -hmm. reminder of as soon as I decide I'm done and I've got plenty of reasons to be done, then it will be over. It will be a failure. Um, and fortunately, and just having a lot of support around us, we've managed to work through every 
there are obstacles we have walked past that would have terrified me two years ago. <laughs> that's awesome. Money being money being the first one. I mean, that's like you can kind of buy your way out of any problem if you've got cash, but not not for a startup float center. <laughs> yeah. So let, let, let's get back to that. So you're thinking a six float center, and you're thinking complete build out because I'm going to have the money for all of this. Uh, Let's get back to that uh, timeline. <laughs> yeah. So, well, again, my first thought was, you know, I can get maybe thirty grand together and I can get a loan on equipment or something. Um, and then the just the whole magnitude changed and realizing I was looking at, you know, half a million dollars to build a six tank center, and wow. that, it, like, it, my chest even seizes up now thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, that's not enough. <laughs> like the, the, the first one we designed was a million, um, wow. which is one of the failures uh, that I can talk about. Right, but right. Uh, with the funding thing, it was, I figured enough people have done this and certainly people with less means or less um, resource at some point. So it's just a matter of what's, what's the secret. So obviously, I, I shouldn't say obviously, but case it's not obvious i wasn't going to able to come up with half a million cash out of my own pocket um but i tried banks initially and looked at small business loans and there just really wasn't any runway to start picking up speed with wow. um, there just there wasn't collateral there wasn't um, an industry record uh, there just there wasn't anything that i could pull off of now if i were opening like a jimmy john sandwich franchise right then there's, there's a whole tier of resources available. It's a franchise, it's food service, it's a known entity. Uh, and that's not to say that everybody told me absolutely not. Just the look on everyone's face was like, I don't know how we, how we can do this. So the banks, were, it's kind of easy. We got through that fairly quick. Thought about doing a Kickstarter, but when I looked around on a few other f startup float centers and their... Uh, Kickstarter and what are some of the, the Indiegogo and another one and just none of them really were getting any traction. They, you know, they raised five grand. That's great. <laughs> um, so tell Flo Harder that, but yeah, yeah, please. Well, please. no. Well, and uh, Greg Griffin, didn't he use crowdfunding yep. as a chunk of getting, so people can do it. I just didn't see an avenue. Um, so, but this led us to a, a new thing, or at least it was a new thing here uh, in Indiana. Um, I just like a hundred jokes just popped into my head about what a new thing in Indiana might be. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I, touching you know, that one. We have yeah, we have listeners in Indiana. I'm not touching sure. that. <laughs> at least one. Yeah. Um, so we we got introduced to this thing called crowd vesting, which is not quite crowdfunding, it's not a gift program, it's not a donation, mm. it's also not an ownership, it's a revenue share, it's kind of mm. like a royalty model thing, mm -hmm. where people pitch in money in return for a percentage of revenues over a period of time up to a certain amount. Cool. The idea being you make one and a half times your money back or two times or whatever it is over a certain period of years. And it seemed kind of promising, um, and part of the reason was a question that you said you were going to ask about, Dylan, which was a, a mailing list. Mm -hmm. So I'll come back to that because it ties into why this didn't work out. Uh, but the idea seemed right. We gave it a shot. We did pretty well in reaching people. We just, there was a technical hurdle about figuring out how to use the software to complete your, 
your, your it wasn't a donation, your investment, that even people on our own team who had already committed money couldn't figure out how to overcome. Right. And Got so it. over enough time, we didn't get enough progress. Um, and we actually raised less money on that platform than we brought to that platform because even existing investors just sort of gave up because they got frustrated. Wow. They said, you, you let me know where to write the check. <laughs> You're kidding me. What a failure. A super failure. <laughs> oh, and, but now here's the thing. Yes, yes, it cost a few thousand dollars to do, but at least it took eight months of our life in the process. <laughs> so there's an upside. <laughs> it's like, you know, yes, it's expensive, but at least the lines are long. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> um, so, so after that didn't work out, and that was a bummer, uh, we took another approach at venture capital, which I think is, um, depending on the type of city or, or, or community region that you live in, it, it could have potential. Um, in our case, particularly the groups that we talked to, it was largely uh, medical and software. Mm. So they're looking at a you know, 10,000 time return on developing a piece of software that, you know, that Microsoft buys for some tens of millions of dollars. For somebody looking to make a, you know, 35% profit margin and, you know, in year two, we're going to, we're going to make our first profit. It's going to be great. <laughs> right. It just, it wasn't sexy enough for what they're typically looking for. And, and even if it were a sure thing, the scale wasn't big enough. Sure. So what that we ended typical. up coming, uh, I'm sorry, what we ended up coming back to is what we started with is just the good old fashioned way of asking people for money. <laughs> um, and that's been almost a two year process. Uh, we found it, and it came from some of the strangest places. Can you tell not us like about weird. That? Well, not like weird, strange. <laughs> strange in the sense of um, the treasure chest in yeah. your backyard. Nice. <laughs> Everybody yeah, so, gotta check your backyard, and if you don't have one, check your neighbors. <laughs> you know, you know that segment on the news about there might be leftover money waiting for you somewhere. All <laughs> right. No, this this came from. It's real. <laughs> This, um, we got a lot of passes by people with money. What was interesting was we had a lot of people who believed in this so much, and, I, and you know, by extension, me and what I was doing with it at the time, uh, that they were willing to go all in to pull this off. And we ended up raising, all in all, if you include things like tenant improvement and some of the financing stuff, I mean, we ended up raising $650,000 wow. uh, to get this open. In exchange for giving away a little more than half of the company, hmm. which if I had to do it again, I'd use a different kind of structure because the equity thing, um, that's, yeah, I know better now. There's a lesson in there, Lance. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, you know, you just, you keep knocking and you keep scratching and hmm. you keep shaking the trees and eventually somebody pops up and goes, I have $100,000 and I'm really into alternative healthcare. Tell me more. So for anybody who's listening and this is the stage that they're at right now is the fundraising portion. Like, where are you finding these people? Like, who, who are you talking to? Do you just happen to have lots of wealthy uh, family member friends? Or does, I mean, where does it, where does it start? No, my, uh, <laughs> my, my, my family is uh, uh, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Affluent? Uh, affluent, thank you. Yeah. Um, what do you call rich people? No, uh, stuck up. 
<laughs> no, what, <laughs> what, um, what ended up happening was, first of all, you tell everybody. We, we're raising money. We're taking on invest, whatever your structure. You tell everybody at, at the bus stop, at uh, <laughs> line at Starbucks. Um, nice. There's a joke about a, a Jewish man at a Catholic confessional, and the punchline is, why am I telling you? I'm telling everybody. Um, so that's kind of what... We're going to have to delete that from this show. <laughs> no, no, it's just the first half of the joke. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I apologize. I realize I'm rambling, but the, it, it was telling everybody and everybody who said they wanted to help, taking them up on it and asking them. Hmm. If you, if, I understand you can't do it. Like, no is okay. Um, getting people comfortable with no is harder than it was myself getting comfortable with no. Like letting know it's okay to tell me no because of maybe if you keep telling me maybe it's eating up time, it's dragging on, mm-hmm. you know you're not going to invest. I need to be meeting with people who might. Um, but what ended up happening is people would make introductions and that introduction would make an introduction. Cool. Cool. And weirdly, everything so far ended up coming back to like the same dozen people. Um, and that's kind of where we got our core. You know, I've got my partners. We've got a handful of, of smaller investors, and everybody's pretty heavily involved. I've I've found just talking about floating, and, and I don't know if you see this or not, but man, when you hear about it, even if you don't know what it is, you're either in or you're out. There's no that's people funny. who hear the explanation and go, "I'm moderately interested in that." It's either no or when can I make an appointment. <laughs> totally. So it was the same with this. There were people who, from from the get-go, uh, were interested in the in the business and the investment. They had a lot of concerns and questions, um, mostly because this was an untested, untested market, unproven industry, at least from what people are used to. And uh, yeah. It used to just be a dumb idea, and now it's a 4,600-square-foot float center opening up December 1st. Wow. <laughs> With an asterisk how around many, December 1st. <laughs> how many float rooms are you running? We've got six rooms, three pods, and three um, which are basically custom open. We don't call them pools because pools have lifeguards and chlorine. Custom open tanks. Ah. Yeah, Dylan. And let me explain to you why this isn't water anymore. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, three three pods and then three large open tanks. Um, I guess they're float rooms, but the the whole room is open to it. Uh, so we've got six. We're going to be open 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. We're on the odd hours too. So I'm glad to hear everybody saying that because that was one of a thousand just guesses. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lot of sitting space. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, can I post that your tour video on our page? On sure. The Art of the float. Cool. Sure. I, there'll I be there'll great. be a better one in a couple of weeks. There'll be like chairs and doors and stuff. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is fancy pants. So your money's really going to some <laughs> some smart places. Lance, yeah. what were you going to say? Um, I wanted to go back into the water thing to talk about how you no. explain it's not water. So hold on. Do you call this is a question for everyone. Do you call the water in your float tanks water or do you call it a solution? I've sort of bounced back before on terminology. Sometimes I feel like I call this solution and sometimes I call it water because it really I, I don't know. I'm just curious what other people are saying there. That's sort of a well, it is a solution. 
Uh, but in the state of Tennessee, we have to call it pool water. Oh, but we, we refer to it as God a solution in the tank. Yeah. Is that right? Aaron, do you have any opinions on this? <laughs> any I, thoughts? <laughs> I do. Um, so I, we call it a solution, and this came from, Dylan, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. Yeah. A bottle of Clorox is more water than float tank solution is water in terms of the combination of the solution. There's so much Epsom salt in, in the, with the water that it's not, it's not really water anymore. And the reason that that came up was not a philosophical argument, it's a practical one. It, the physical properties have changed and so you can't treat it like it's water. Amy, I see you nodding because you know because they're trying to make you move it at a certain speed but it's denser and... Um, and I think using the word solutions kind of a double entendre when you're talking about the aches and pains and all the things that they're here to relieve themselves of. But, nice. Dylan, you made a point. I agree completely. People can identify with water. They, they attribute meaning to that. Solution is clinical, and there's not a thing to hang that on. Yeah, I You've made my argument. Yes, exactly. And actually, maybe this is a good point. I, I suppose I meant to uh, bring this up at the top of the show, but Aaron, you and I have had a relationship for, as you brought up before the show, about a year now, possibly over a year through consulting. Um, and obviously, we enjoy each other's company quite a bit. I, we've definitely had a few uh, <laughs> hangouts and conversations outside of uh, consulting because we, we do enjoy each other's company. But uh, so I, I have been watching Aaron through this process for for some time now um he he definitely had a lot of very clear ideas of of what he wanted to create so it's been fun to um uh, be able to i don't know give my input on his thoughts basically uh it's been fun working with somebody with some very clear vision uh of what he wants to create and i can simply give my uh thumbs up or thumbs down and, and then share my opinion on that and he can say i totally get that i want to switch or i totally get that and I still believe my opinion is, is correct in this decision, and which is great. Like that's that's how it should be. So. Well, I'd like to respond to that and kind of give you a plug about the consulting thing. I would not have been able to pull this off without your help. Wow. Um, be, because I wow. I ran into a number of seemingly insurmountable obstacles, either from a construction standpoint or from a money standpoint, mm -hmm. and usually somewhere in the middle, um, that I I had no solution for. No, no idea how I was going to get through this. Um, and we, you, you worked with me to drastically redesign our oh, center yeah. uh, because our first draft was, I, I call it my perfect float center, yep, was going to yep. cost a million dollars to build out. Yep. And we're like, that's, <laughs> that's not possible. <laughs> and so n knowing what can be cut and what can be altered and, and how to make, um, how to save costs without compromising, I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. And that that uh, you were willing to do consulting at the time because I felt like I had to talk you into it. Maybe that's how you, maybe that's how you close deals. Yeah, that's right. I make, I make you think it's your idea. No, I yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure at the time uh, if that's something I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I, just, I think I, my offer was, I'm, let me just give you some money and then you be available as you see fit. But I that's really exactly. need you to answer the phone when I call. <laughs> That's, that sounds very familiar, yes. Yeah. I believe that's Some correct. of the best money I've ever spent. That's wow, for sure. thank you so much. Thanks. I, yeah. that's, 
that's lovely. And I'm, I'm glad I could, could be there for you. And uh, my, my other hope would be that we had fun doing it too, because I know it can be an incredibly uh, anxiety, a lot, a lot of stress can be involved in all of this. And uh, the other part I want to be is uh, just support during that time and letting you know that it's going to be okay, even through hundreds of failures mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the good news is eventually this will all be over or at least different. Different. The next stage. Yeah. yeah. Once we open, we'll forget all the problems we thought we were going to have and start dealing with all the problems we never expected. And... It's, a, it's a different life. It's a completely different point of view. It's, it's really incredible. And I would assume, I would say you're going to know about 70% of everything you need to know in the first six months and then probably 80% the next six months after that as far as just like kind of running your business goes, the real float-centric aspect of it. It's really You'll you'll be an expert in no time. It's it's weird. Amy, hey, Aaron, uh, if I could take the conversation back a little bit, we do get a lot of questions about uh, investors and getting funding and that sort of thing, and a lot of times those deals can be a very private thing, and so I don't need to have specific details, but uh, you know when you have multiple investors, when you have several partners going into uh, an organization or into a new project. Uh, I've had experience in the past with that on totally different businesses. Um, but it would be great if you could speak to what are some things you would do differently and if you would be uh, comfortable sharing what type of business structure you set up to accommodate um, that type of, um, I don't want to say mishmash, that sounds negative, but, but that uh, group of, to have a group of investors. Yeah, uh, the what I would do differently, I'll have to chew on that because mm-hmm. um, probably a lot of things. At, at the same time, so much of the lessons that I've learned, Lance, I like your term. I'm going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I could have done anything differently mm-hmm. before that moment occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, like our, uh, I'll talk about our property, but with the with the investors, so we're an LLC. Um, and the investment structure was based on a valuation of the company's worth, which we kind of arbitrarily set at a million dollars. And the reason was, is we could make enough of an argument based on the size and the three-year, etc. Nobody mm-hmm. really pushed back one way or the other. Um, okay. Where we're at now, and we've been reevaluating, it's actually has the potential to be worth more. But it was a nice round number to invest in which is mm-hmm. super helpful when you're doing back and napkin stuff with people. Um, and what we were selling was equity in the company. Um, mm-hmm. Our plan from the get-go is to open multiple stores. Um, mm-hmm. We have a three-store plan here for central Indiana, and, would, and then a lot of dreams and hopes and wishes for the future, but how we pull those first three off is going to determine what, if any, future options are. Um, so, so the, this initial group of investors were able to get in on the company and not on the store itself. Um, and we sold equity and what that ended up being in most cases was just a, a percentage of net profit that goes Mm -hmm. to the investor. At the time, originally I was going to own the majority of the company, even after selling all the shares. So it was a non-issue, but we also built in sort of a, um, a monarch clause or a dictatorship clause that says the general manager does not have to seek the approval of the investors on anything that's under 
a decision of like borrowing a million dollars or, you know, changing over the executive staff or something pretty substantial because what we didn't want to do was give everybody a vote. Things with, what is it, uh, Dave Ramsey says, things, anything with more than one head's a monster, and that's especially true for businesses. Um, so that actually ended up working out really well because we've had to pull that card a couple times. Um, oh, interesting. Did you have any so examples of that? Well, we, we went through a branding process as well. It was very important for me. Uh, my background is in marketing, and I know what happens when you take a, because a, a, I've done this with my own company in the past, you take a under or poorly developed brand and then you try to start putting it everywhere you need it to be and it just gets out of control and so the consistency and the quality and, and the, the recognition and, and how you're presenting yourself just gets out of whack and ends up becoming defined by the person using it and not the brand standard itself. Mm-hmm. So we put a lot of energy into making sure we could meet a fairly robust list of criteria of a brand, design, look and feel, website, all the stuff you were talking about, Lance, Um, that one of the criteria is to be aesthetically appealing. But there are many others, like it needs to be unique enough to trademark, it needs to be able to work at a small-scale stamp or a large-scale banner, all these different. So we got through, we came up with something that seemed to be a perfect solution and one of the major partners didn't like it. They're just, we don't like it. We want something else. And we had a meeting and we mm-hmm. talked about it and they shared their ideas and I gave them mine. At the end, I, I said, I brought a hat to the meeting. I said, now this is my general manager's hat because <laughs> we're friends and we're talking. And I'm going to put my manager's hat on. I put it on and I said, this, this isn't your decision. How did that and, go over? <laughs> you know, it went over well for two reasons. One, it made the partnership stronger because now we know how to disagree. Two, in hindsight, we all realize it wasn't nearly as important as we were making it compared to all the other things that need to be done. And three, they've kind of changed their mind and they're fine with the design now. Um, but, but that could have been a point, or if we had more investors, um, more vocal investors, that's the kind of thing that can really slog it down. Uh, yeah. Because one of the first requests was, well, I think we should start over. I'm like, we're six months into this. We're at the end of this. Starting over would be really <laughs> wow. ridiculously expensive and take a lot of time. And what if someone else doesn't like it? Right, right. So the people yeah. managing... Uh, I shouldn't say managing, I guess handling is probably the right word, um, because everybody in our company, all the investors, all the shareholders, all the stakeholders even, everybody has a voice, um, and I, I listen and weigh things, and I've, I've changed my mind and made decisions based on other people's opinions, because they, they had better ideas, you know, given enough time. And I think that's, that's really hard, is to um, not get caught up in my own ego of I know best because I know most. Mm-hmm. Most isn't always best. Um, and half of what we're doing, we're making up. We're guessing. How many people are you working with in total? Uh, from investors? From, so we have, yes. we have 12 investors, including myself. Okay. Pretty small group, relatively. Do th- yeah, do you think you could have had more? Uh, is there a reason you kept it around the 12 number? 
because uh, we had enough money, so we stopped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's where do you find your keys? The last well, place than, you look for them. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So it you were getting large investors rather than finding six hundred fifty thousand investors. Yeah, a few investors made up the vast majority of the investments, um, and then there were a handful of people who weren't necessarily at the level of investor we were looking at, but were supportive and backing this from day one. Um, and we wanted to make sure that they could get in on it as well, cool. nice, uh, just nice. because of their own sense of ownership. Okay. Lance brought it up earlier, and, and now you've brought it up. I'm, I'm curious about the logo design process. I'm assuming you didn't use 99designs as well. Uh, how did you go about creating your logo, and what, what, was, what did you want out of your logo? So the logo, the design itself, was the last thing that we wanted. That was literally the last piece of the project. Um, we had the opportunity to work with a fantastic uh, brand director and designer. His name's Will Sears. He's a friend of mine now, but at the time he was a, a professional referral. And we wanted somebody to help us wrap our arms around what it is we were going to be doing with our brand, who we were trying to reach, what we were trying to communicate, um, how it was going to be used. Uh, so there was a lot of conversation at first that was really more about like business philosophy. Um, and that's exactly what I wanted. What I didn't want was a logo and a tagline and a color palette because tomorrow now I have to go make decisions with it and I won't have enough information. Like what messaging should we use? What should we send this group of people? Hey, we're, we're sponsoring a cancer walk. What do we what are we providing them as a banner or design, anything like that? It gets very chaotic when you try to do that as you go. Um, and I have found with my own stuff, it also gets very messy. So the more recent stuff doesn't really match the older stuff, and it just there's an absence of quality control. And I personally think it looks unprofessional. I'm, part of it is that I assess brands for a living, but I, when I look, I see and I go, all right, they didn't put a lot of energy into this, hmm. and maybe they didn't need to, but if, if we're trying to influence people, we're trying to change their mind about something that they think they know what it is already, uh, we kind of have to come strong. And so what we really wanted initially we focused on, how do we take floating and make it seem more like spa-like and medical, except we went too far that direction, and it hmm. started feeling clinical uh, then we went to impersonal another direction and started feeling like a boutique hotel. And, um, so what we ended up working out was things like the messaging, the usage. The, we've got a 90-page document that shows all the different ways in which we plan on using the brand. Uh, this is the kind of thank you card that gets sent, and here's an example of the handwritten note. So that way there's always an example of a standard. Uh, it's expensive. It takes a long time. And at the end, you know, we got a mark. And the mark, I got to tell you, our little square thing, um, I didn't love it the first time I saw it. But I did, at a glance, I'm like, this fulfills all of its mm. needs. Interesting. And I would rather, from my own personal experience with marketing, I would rather know that I can fulfill all the needs than have something that I especially like. Can we, I, is it too early to share that logo? Can we put no, that on the website? No. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's on the website. It's on Facebook. All that good stuff. Awesome. Okay, Lance, go for it. I was speaking to my uh, one of my employees, Bruce, about logos the other day, and he's like, you know, over my life experiences of doing, 
you know, band logos and, and stuff like that. He's like, really, he's like, what do you have? He's like, it's a matter of you just filling that. So, um, like, we take our logo and at the new one we're getting, we're like, eh, uh, I, you know, it's good, but it's not this. It's not exactly what we were projected, but, you know, he's like, you'll fill it. You'll you'll make that logo what it is because it's tied to you. So he's like, you know, it's it's that's that's just something to be said about your logo. Like once you're designed with it, once you design it and you have it, you just need to fill it. And by filling it, I mean tying it to you and your business and what you do and making it, you know, a genuine reflection of. Of your yeah, business. And that was a conversation that we've had, uh, and not just in this time. I've, I've had this conversation before in the past that, you know, people look at a logo and they go, well, I really wanted something, you know, that was going to move me, that, that feels iconic and, and powerful. Or It's like, well, but what you're talking about is a symbol, and that symbol currently does not represent <laughs> a real thing. So it, it can't, you know, when you say, well, like, you know, Apple is iconic. Yeah, because Apple's been doing awesome stuff for 30 years. Right. And so when you see their logo, you're like, wow, technology, right? <laughs> um, same thing with the logo is people are going to, we are going to determine how people feel about this. You know, as long as it, <laughs> the joke was, the only way I'm going to change my mind about this, if your parents were murdered by a man with that tattoo. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> people are going to change, people are going to feel however they feel about it. Wow. Wow. As you said, Lance, Logo 101. <clears throat> yeah, don't get tattoos of murderers. Is that? Wow. I must have spaced out. Okay, anyway, um, get back to uh, I, I, it's something I want to really find out about, which I have been inspired by you quite a bit, uh, is your email list. I would um, love for our listeners to learn about your email list, and I'm just going to keep it broad like that so you can just walk me through the whole process. So early on, we realized we had to come up with some kind of proof that people were going to be interested in floating um, because the immediate pushback was, why would anybody do this? Is it like a bath? Uh, so we took out, uh, we did some Facebook ads. Well, actually, I take it back. I did a number of things experimenting on lead generation. What I wanted to do and what we all want to do, right? If I can get the email address, I can get permission to communicate with them. We can have a conversation, I can give them offers, send them gifts, that kind of thing. Um, I didn't want to just build a Facebook audience or a bunch of page likes because that's expensive every time you want to do something. And when election season or Thanksgiving or holiday shopping comes around and your ad costs triple, quadruple to get the same kind of coverage, it'd be nice to have something a little more reliable. So the email list was a way for us to show um, not just here's people interested in floating, but specifically the call was, if you want to be notified when appointments are available, give us your email address. And we were able to use that, and, and we refer to it as a qualified list. It's volunteer, um, there's no trickery, and we're not offering some incentive or discount or, or anything that might get a whole group of people who are never going to float but are looking for a free thing. Um, so we started doing that with Facebook, and this would have been two years ago when it began, uh, taking out ads, sending them to the website, having sign-up form at the top of the website, a thank you page, all of that. And in the first couple months, we were getting 20 subscribers a day. Uh, and this is from 20 miles 
around the Indianapolis downtown. So we weren't, we weren't reaching very far. Uh, and that, that, that rate continued. Um, we played around with targeting. We boosted, uh, well not boosted, but we raised our ad spend, uh, made a lot of guesses and mostly good ones. Um, but over the course of that first six or seven months, we built a waiting list of about 3,200 people. Um, so that was helpful with investors in telling them, look, there is a demand. Mm -hmm. It also was very helpful because it allowed us to do some consumer research that wasn't available to kind of uh, prove or deny some of the assumptions we were making about what we were trying to do with the float center. Um, and so that ended up working out really well, is reaching out to that group um, and inviting them in, inviting people who had floated prior. And so for almost everybody, they had floated elsewhere around the country. But apparently Indiana had float tanks like 25 years ago um, because there were some older couples who used to float at a shamanic shop up in uh, the north side of town 20 years ago. Um, so we then, you know, there's, there's a, some timeline confusion, but uh, at, at this point now, our waiting list is about 4,600 people. We've gone a couple rounds of asking people to unsubscribe if they're not interested in floating. <laughs> Can you elaborate that? Because it's a very interesting concept to basically ask people to unsubscribe. <laughs> well, for us, it, it was largely just because there had been so much downtime between, yeah. lo between location one and two. Um, at well, 1.0 1 and 1.1. Um, and so we just wanted to make sure that we weren't talking to dead air or uh, that people hadn't somehow gotten on there accidentally. Um, so yeah, uh, that's something I learned from Tim Ferriss. Just every once in a while, send out an email that says, please unsubscribe. And anybody who's thinking about it but didn't want to upset you will. I think that's so interesting because I think our just our natural instinct is we want the bigger number. We want to know that people are like us or that we're reaching that bigger number and to see it shrink would, going back to that, that failure word, it would feel like failure, but really you want those people who are invested that it just makes so much sense uh, the way you've described it. Well, and the thing to think about is that bigger number that the vanity numbers yes, um, yes. make the important numbers look worse. Mm -hmm. So oh, when you have you know, open rates. A, a list of 4,500 people, and in our case, 30% you know, open the emails and anywhere between 2 and 6% will click through and do something. And those aren't great numbers, but the end result is having hundreds and sometimes thousands of people engaging and, and interacting with us as we make notice. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. I want those mm -hmm. people... Um, and we will probably make a practice of uh, any email addresses that aren't getting the opens and things after a year or so. We'll, we'll start scrubbing them out because yes. it just you, it throws off your data when most of the people on your list aren't representing the people active on your list. Then it looks like there's something wrong with it when, in fact, the important stuff's buried under all the. I don't yeah. know why I'm using my hands. This is radio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll definitely make this the video segment that we put out as a teaser. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're Engagement. Ask a, 
engagement is mm -hmm. all that matters. So I'm really, really thrilled to hear you bring that up because we do, our egos get caught up in those big numbers and the reality of it is it means bupkis um, yeah, at paying, the bottom line. So activity, yeah, Sorry, act yeah, activity is, an engagement is so, so much, a million times more important um, and something to get caught up in more than those, more than those big numbers. Yeah. So going going with that line, what we ended up doing, I just happened to be in the same building as a colleague of mine that has a PR firm. And when I told her about this and finding investors, she's like, well, what you need is a focus group so that you can give them consumer data to say, here's what people want. I'm like, I, great. I can't afford it. And <laughs> right. uh, she goes, this was on me. I want to see it succeed. We'll run it. I just had to pay for the food. And I wasn't allowed to be there which is too bad because watching the video, it looked like a good time. <laughs> so we put out, we put out a, a, the email to the list to say, we're doing a focus group of people who have floated. If you have floated and you're interested in participating, it's a couple hours, we'll feed you, there's a stipend, like, you know, kind of went all out on it. Um, what was nice is that hundreds of people responded. 80% of them had never floated because so they didn't read the second sentence in the email and that's that, here's one thing I can say just people aren't gonna read the emails so keep them short don't make them complicated one thing I hate is when there's two distinct things happening in an email mm -hmm. like we've got a special offer and there's a new product uh, I've been cutting it down uh, making the emails very short, and usually driving them to something if they want more information. Um, but we had so many people sign up for the focus group and in the comments say, it's okay that I haven't floated, right? Nice, nice. So uh, <clears throat> that focus group ended up being 25 people who had floated before. Um, a few of them, at this point, a place had opened up in Indianapolis that had float tanks. And so a couple of them had been able to float locally recently. Everyone else was, um, you know, other parts of the country or other points in time. And it, there was a series of questions. Uh, there's actually a, a whole report that came out of it. If you'd be interested, I'm happy to share it. A number of questions of um, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? And please describe your experience. So what was interesting is not so much what we heard, which is what we expected. People want nice towels, they want bigger rooms, they want a place to sit, they want tea, they want, they want the place clean. Nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. um, they want at least 90 minute floats. That was something weird that came out of the focus group and then a follow-up survey is almost everybody who hasn't floated before thinks they want an hour float. Everyone who had floated before, 90 minutes was the minimum. Uh, that they signed off on. Interesting, interesting. Because when we got the aggregate data back, it's like, well, 70% 70, 70 of people say they want hour-long sessions. I'm like, there's something wrong with this data. <laughs> and so I went in and broke it up to who's floated and who hasn't. Mm. And people who have floated before want 90 minutes or more. Um, so, but that focus group, I'm sorry, what, it's almost <laughs> tomorrow where I am. <laughs> Thank you for staying up with us, Aaron. Uh, the focus group, what was fun about that is the, they immediately began developing a camaraderie with each other, talking about how much they love floating and how they couldn't wait to make it a practice and sharing their families and stories of friends that had found benefits from various pain and ailments. And it was 
fascinating to see how much these people really, it's like they were looking for this type of community to participate in. And so that was the biggest lesson from the focus group was not just, yeah, we may need to make sure we have nice towels and a place to sit and all that, but there are people out there who really want to this to be a part of their life and to share that part of their life with others. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think I appreciated it at the level that I saw it from the focus group. So what's fun, and I'm assuming they're not listening to this podcast, because if so, they're getting early notice. Uh, we're going to be inviting the focus group back to float before we're open to let them go through the whole experience to show them, hey, you, this is what you told us you wanted. Here's what we've done. Um, what can we do better? What do you think? But more than anything, just to thank them for helping make this what it was. Um, I'm very excited about that. Uh, they will great. get to be the first people who float. That's after so cool. we after we've floated after to make sure you. nothing's broken, right? Or yeah. like there's a hairball, or yeah. I think that's a really cool sign of respect. I I, I dig that a lot, and just kind of honoring them for being there from the beginning is really fun. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt with their evangelicalism either. You know, that's no, going to be something they talk about. Um, also, just having a four thousand person email list of people who have been asked to unsubscribe when you're about to start. I mean, I think about the float shop and how we were so focused inwardly on creating our space that we just stumbled out of the gate, used a Groupon to get people in the doors, and and slowly found our way. I uh, I would feel so much better, so much more confident. My decisions would have been so much more confident had I had 4,000 people already interested in entering my space. I, I, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Hey, hey, there's no confidence in this. Nobody's actually shown up and floated yet. Right? Yeah. Like, so, who knows? Um, By the way, the day yeah. that I sent out, we sent out a survey um, asking people when they wanted to float. Just we, we were, mm. As we're leading up to this, we kind of mm -hmm. want to, we're not sending a lot of emails, but maybe once a week. And we were really interested in doing two things. One, just to survey people as to when they intended to be floating, but also to see who's so excited that they're waiting and willing to take a survey for us while we're opening because it was more about measuring user engagement than it was about when should we be open because right um, now the good news is everybody wants to float most of the time nice, uh, we nice. the the way that the matrix worked out is everybody wants to float afternoons and evenings during the week and mornings and afternoons on the weekends and still a third of the people will float mornings during the week and evening weekends so there's there's nothing helpful there about <laughs> Should we shorten our hours or only run a right. particular shift? Right. But we did get, uh, I don't know, three, four hundred people who immediately wrote back and said, this is when I plan on floating. So that's great. <laughs> that's so cool. And they know, I mean, our prices have been up and, and everything. They know where we are. So mm. a lot of those hurdle questions like, oh, well, I thought it was going to be $20. Mm -hmm. Or I thought you were in, you know, northern Indiana. I thought you were bringing the float tank to me. What is yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> it gets that out of the way. That's great. And again, it was more measuring engagement, less about. We were curious who would. Now, here's the problem. If you remember, this would have been Friday two weeks ago. It was the day the Internet broke. Um, when Netflix, Twitter, Amazon, 
and most importantly, SurveyMonkey and AWeber email <laughs> software also down and intermittent over the course of the day. Boy. So we, we had about half the engagement that we usually do when we send mm. out an email. So we followed up That's with tough. a couple more and managed to get uh, you know, a couple thousand people opened, a few hundred, I think like 350, something like that, um, took the survey as, of when they intended to float. But I don't know, maybe we could have gotten more if, you know, if the internet was working. Wow. That's uh, hopefully a hurdle nobody else <laughs> listening yeah. is going to have to face. I'm sitting there pulling my hair going, really, today? The day today that I've been holidays. waiting to send this out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, we, uh, we're going to send an email out about our Black Friday sales. And uh, Sandra all of a sudden went, wait a minute, that's queued for Tuesday? That's election day. Does that make sense? And I went... No, Sandra, that doesn't make any sense at all. We should totally delay that email. Yeah, by the way, the rest of the year is kind of screwed because when, when are we going to do our marketing? Are we going to compete with Black Friday? Are we going right. to compete with, you know, Christmas? Um, it's like maybe mid-January, you know, maybe after Valentine's Day, we can start getting <laughs> some good traction. It's like, uh, it's like cable. The pie just yeah. keeps getting cut up and you're just fighting for your tiny little slice of that pie. But Dylan, I would have pushed back a little bit and said of all days that people are going to read an email in their inbox, it's the day they're spending two hours waiting in a line to vote. Ooh. Right? Ooh. There's, there's kind of the counterpiece which says everybody is standing around on their phone, on social media, taking pictures of themselves, voting and all that. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a good time to market. Next year, maybe we'll have, uh, uh, if you come in with an I Voted pin, you know, book now, if you're in line, you know, kind of kind of tie it in. I guess I that's love, four years from now. But Yeah. <laughs> I love the I Floated badge going around today, too. That was... That was nice. Yeah. I think that was actually, oh, gosh, was that Float Harder that, that came up mm. with that? Uh, was that Amy? That, yeah, that was a... Yep. Really fun novel pin there, her uh, logo image. Um, we don't have all night. I know we're almost in tomorrow for you, and I don't. I don't want to keep you up for days on end. Also, a shout out to Justin, Feinst Dr. Justin Feinstein, for staying on so long as he did with us as well. I know he had an extremely long day and stayed up late to speak with us as well. We really appreciate that. So, thank you guys for for staying up with us for these interviews. Um, I, I, I just kind of wanted a snapshot of where are you now? You are in mid-construction. It's uh, pretty phenomenal. And I, I got to say, as the, somebody who has been working with you for at least a year now, to see these ideas actually have form now, and you can walk through these ideas, and you can see them being, you know, the floors being laid out, all these concepts. I mean, those floors, how many different iterations of that floor design you went through. And now seeing, hey, your money is where your mouth is now. Like this is, you got a bank on yeah. that, your, your air filtration system. It's, it's phenomenal. So, so where are you at? I guess I kind of gave a little bit away there. Final inspection is the 17th. Okay. So um, November 17th. Uh, uh, let's see. What's today? The 8th. So this week is finishing up interior details on the 15th. All the equipment arrives, the tanks. Um, so that'll get installed and 15th, 16th, up until inspection on the 17th, we'll be trying to get them up and running. They're, they're not being treated as part of our inspection, fortunately. Oh, good, good, good. So they won't, and nobody, we won't lose points for 7,000 pounds of salt bags in our hallway. 
Um, that, by the way, the thing that made this more real than anything was ordering three tons of salt. <laughs> like I've, I've been walking through the location, there's walls, there's doors, there's room, there's like, it's very real, but I was so hesitant to make that salt purchase because it mm -hmm. felt like a threshold I couldn't, I could never come back from. Mm -hmm. What made it real for us is when we had to carry those three <laughs> tons of salt up a flight of stairs. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, part, you know, it's funny. We, we were able to pull this off, but so much of the design of this facility came out of just the practicality of if you guys, and this came from Float Tank Solutions, the guys that float on as well, but if you, if you could do this all over again, what would you do? And things like seven-foot hallways and four-foot doors and epoxy floors and, you know, just as all those things started coalescing, we were able to make design choices that would have seemed wasteful. I called our quiet room irresponsible um, because it is a 25 by 25 square feet of insulated cloud, ceiling cloud, every, like there's no money is made in that room. Um, I think it's required for people to have the kind of experience that they want to come back for. But for somebody who's just thinking about it from a, like a hard practical line, it seems a waste of space. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll find out. <laughs> our, our landlord would used to always just walk in and just be just floored by the fact that we weren't using our space for another float room or to make money because every square foot was more potential revenue and it's like well actually it's this is more of a long-term play we, we keep people happy and satisfied here and they keep coming back it, it depends if you're going for subscription or churn right subscription right. says i want you coming back and i want to make it better and easier for you to come back every time versus i just want to get you out um, right. The biggest concern is if people do hang around too long, our parking. Um, we've got oh. 10 spaces, and there's a parking garage around the corner, so it's not too inconvenient. But if people really love it, we're going to have a, a parking issue. <laughs> we may have to ask to them to leave. <laughs> and and I got to say, just going back there to your uh, your quiet room design, that. As much money did go into that, I do recall that being a lot more expensive of a room in the past as well. That got scaled back a bit as well. A so, little bit. A little, little bit. A little bit. Um, um, yeah, we managed to cut $300,000 out of construction without really losing any of the crucial features. I, I think I talked about it in that Facebook Live, but we, the whole design started from the rooms, the float rooms, and then we worked our way out. So things like the office and the closets and all of that. That was just, here is the leftover space, what do we want to do with it? Mm -hmm. But getting the flow, getting the restrooms, getting the, the, I call it a vanity, but I've been told to call it a grooming area because some people don't like the word vanity. Um, but in the women's restroom, we have a three mirror vanity with hair dryers and, and product and stuff because we figured it was a good use of space. And it's unfair, we couldn't, we couldn't do that with the men's as well, but We'll see. We'll, we'll see. I, it seems to make sense. Based on what we've seen at the, the float shop, I, I think, uh, I personally think you've made the right choice, but again, only time oh, yeah. will tell. I'm, I'm happy with the choices we made. We certainly could have done it for less. We could have done it smaller mm -hmm. scale. And, mm -hmm. and this is the thing I, had, I was honest with the investors and everybody up front is we may not need to do this at all. We could just like throw some tanks in a dentist's office 
and put a plant in the corner. And I, I think people <laughs> love floating enough that <laughs> I think people love floating enough that we might stay full just doing that. Uh-huh. However, it's not the experience we want for ourselves. It's not the experience yeah. we want to share. And I think when somebody doing the kind of thing that we are doing comes along, it, it forces the, the, the game to change a little bit. Like I would, I would hate for us to be coming into the market right now, just in terms of the, the magnitude of difference in in what each of the space can offer not necessarily the quality of the people or the float it's just the the physical experience is very different mm-hmm. um, interesting les did you have a question you wanted to ask are you good any questions um, Lance? yeah <laughs> <None> at all <laughs> Um, Aaron, I want to just wrap it up by asking if you have any um, advice for somebody who, I mean, you haven't learned everything yet. You're still in mid-throes of this, right? Like, what what advice do you have to give to somebody who's either just about to start or is starting being in the mid-throes of it? Um, I don't know if this is advice so much as here's things I wish I knew. Doesn't mean it's true for anybody else. One, investors get nervous when founders talk about passion um, because passion comes and goes. Uh, it's it's the, the hard line, the, the financials, the long-term plan that's going to give them confidence. Passion gets people enthusiastic and everything, but you don't, don't talk so much about the vision of bringing health to the world when you're trying to raise money. Talk about the money you're going to make for the people putting the money in. Um, that, that took a while. Unfortunately, I had someone who, who said no and came back afterwards and gave me some very good feedback about that. And he was right. <clears throat> um, like a lot of things that I've done in my life that bring a lot of meeting, that being married, being a parent, starting a business, um, with opening a float center, I don't recommend it. Um, it's, it's really hard. It's expensive. It takes a long time. You're, you're never going to do it right. Like, you might get close. Um, like I said, even the float center we built, which I think is one of the best things out there right now, is not even half of what I wanted it to be originally. Um, hopefully it's good enough uh, for what we're trying to do, but it's uh it's tough and it's definitely i just uh, one people who are thinking about opening a float center should be listening to this podcast and should probably go back to the beginning and listen through Um, because you helped me confirm or consolidate so much information and ideas that i was just drowning in i i don't know Mm. i don't know are you going to have tea sure well how are you going to do it i don't know like, can we worry about it later? Right. Except we're now two weeks out, and it's later. Later <laughs> is now for everything. So all that I've heard from you over, over the year um, has been immensely valuable. And so getting, getting a relationship, whether it's passively through listening or through the consulting or going to the workshop or at least get to that conference, I don't think anybody knows what they're getting into when they say they want to open a float center. I've talked to other groups, and I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You, like, well, we got 30 grand. Yeah, that's, that'll buy you a pod. 
Right. Yeah. Um, so. Not the salt to put in it, by the way. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's the problem. So to explain to people. Yeah, I don't know why I don't know why anybody would want to open a float center, to be honest. Because if you're doing uh, it for great. love, there are easier things, and if you're doing it for money, there are more profitable things. <laughs> But if you're doing it to help people, it is very rewarding. And it comes with um, a lot of amazing feelings watching people um, yeah. heal. Yeah. And, and uh, this is awesome to see Aaron before turning the on switch, you know, before seeing all those smiling faces. And honestly, before buying a car with that money, the, those amazing things that, uh, you know, you, car, you do I make could buy, doing. I can buy houses with the money we spent on this. Long term, long term. I, what you said is, has been important, and Dylan's been a help with this, with me reminding why, I'm, why I personally am doing this, not why the business is making a business of it, um, because it's amazing. I come from a background of, of therapy and, and wellness, and there's nothing quite like this in terms of making me the, the best version of myself. And the more I do it, the longer mm -hmm. that version sustains. And it's like a dream. Come, you know, you wake up and it's very clear, but an hour later, it's like, I, I think I was a nice person earlier. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but I forgot that I built this. All of this was to make something, create something awesome in the world and share it with everybody. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't completely lose sight of that. So thanks, Dylan. Yeah. And I hope you never do. Um, because those are the things it's true. And we, you know, when you are talking to banks, you know, I, that's one thing I learned early on is you let them know you're in it to make money, which we are, because you have to sustain your life in order to come to work every day. But it's those things. It's, it's those, it's seeing those people, it's hearing those stories. Those are the things that I take every night and I tuck them away when I wake up in the morning and things are really hard and I'm looking at the schedule and it's not as full as I want it to be. Those are the things I can reach for. And everything always comes back to, yes, I want to do this. This is the reason I'm here, but they have to be really strong motivators, I think, to, to get you to that point. So as long as you know that deep in your heart, those are the things that keep you going, even when times are rough and the, and it's a little dark uh, before you see the light. So super super important <laughs> it oh. is it's tough. there's a i am sensory deprived um <laughs> hey i can i ask the three of you a question though because this is if we have time is that Please. all right uh, lance you brought this up before uh, asking someone a question i know you guys have talked about it in many different ways but um the, the question is something around the how responsible are we for the client experience and i mean that from, I, see, <laughs> I mean that from as, as fundamental as which of their senses are we responsible for? Because uh, I think it's all five. And then what is our responsibility in influencing their experience for the positive? So that's the question. But Amy, the reason I wanted to ask that of you is I recall you're an educator, correct? Mm-hmm. So right. I'm, I'm guessing you, you don't you wouldn't just teach children, you also had to teach children how to be students. And I've been thinking about how do we help teach our clients how to be clients, and I don't know, but it rolls over into the, what are we, how are we influencing people and what's our responsibility? Does that question make sense? It's like three questions, I apologize. <laughs> well, it's true. I think we, we do want to 
relay information and um, and give them tools in many different ways because we don't know the person coming through the door how they take information, how they assimilate information, and what sticks for them. For some people, video sticks. We put videos out, and they weren't great videos. We, but Mark and I did a series of videos, like when we opened. And to this day, there is still a portion of people like, yeah, I just watched all those videos. I know who you are. You don't have to tell me who you are. Um, Mark has been <laughs> recognized on the street. It's kind of crazy. But there are a group of people that, that even though they weren't anything special, those videos weren't special, that's the way they assimilate information. And that was powerful for them. There are other people's like, yeah, I read through your entire website, and I can you know, go through that. Um, so teaching people and giving them tools and different tools uh, so that they can assimilate their experience in a way that works for them, I think is super, super important. And not one thing is going to work for everybody. Even though I might get hooked on one thing that I really like, I have to remember, hey, it's not about me. I like to think it is sometimes, but we know that that's not true. Um, as far as senses, are you looking at as far as like a sensory experience? Well, it started with realizing, you know, we're we're responsible for their their sense of touch and and their their sense of their vision, but also thinking about their sense of smell, um, you know, what we do with the the aromas, the teas, but this this kind of all started brewing because I thought Lance was asking somebody in a couple podcasts ago about like how do you coach people into their first float? How do you get them prepared? So they have a good experience because I've got I've got 70 plus complaints of people who have floated and came back and said this is what I didn't like about it like I would do this again but I wouldn't go back and here's why and a lot of it is around the nobody told me what to do nobody said you can do this with your arm or suggested breathing exercises or it just at the same yeah. time the the flip side the 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 I think the formal stance is that we're not supposed to influence them at all, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be part of the nothing. And I'll tell you, that's something we struggle with to this day, because we do have a list of things that we, that everybody should hit on the way when they're doing their orientation. But the reality of it is we kept adding things and adding things and adding things. And suddenly our orientations were like mm -hmm. heading towards 15 minutes. And we're like, that could be, that could be rough. And we are looking for that in between of what is crucial, um, what can we cut, what do we need, how much do we um, create that intake and direct it towards the people that are just standing in the room. I, I'm going to let Lance and, and Dylan and hope that they have really great answers because that is something that we go back and forth on all the freaking time. Where's that sweet spot? How much are we overstepping and how much are we not overstepping? Um, so Lance, Dylan, step on up and Lance. I'd love to hear this. I, uh, I believe we don't, we don't prime our clients. Um, we have to hit safety issues. We don't want them getting hurt. We have to hit comfort issues. Um, let them know they're in complete control of their space. If you have lights, how to control those, let them know the operations. Um, I like to explain the fundamentals of a float tank, explain what it is, um, how it may benefit a person generically, and um, a few different ways to, to be comfortable. You know, you can float like this, float with your hands above your head because it opens up your chest, your airways, your breathing, helps relax your neck. Or some people find it better with their hands at their side or on their chest. Floating is a very subjective experience. Experiment, see what works best for you. Um, I believe that as 
float <laughs> facilitators, operators, specialists, whatever so title you choose to call yourself. Um, we do have a job to provide that platform for the user to have their subjective experience. We shouldn't be priming them. We shouldn't be telling them what to expect. We shouldn't be. Um, I think the biggest thing is comfortable. They have to be comfortable. They have to be comfortable in your space. They have to be comfortable getting into your float tank. And they have to be comfortable with the process. So I think it's very important to make sure that um, you can make it so that is achievable for them. They are safe. They are comfortable. So I don't know if that really hits anything. But I do believe as float operators, we are responsible for, for providing the space they need for that. Is that? Well, I like I like the priming language. It, thinking of an engine, and that you know you got to give them something to get it going. Uh, you can't just start them off cold. And and that was one of the things people said. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know what to do once I was in the tank, mm-hmm. and to say, well, you should just do nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know what do mm-hmm. I do with <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I think it it differs from person to person on on what should be done in the float tank. Um, some people you know, just sleep. Some people need that rest. So they strictly go in the float tank to sleep. Some people meditate and work through those thoughts. They dig into that mental library of the life's experiences and pull things forward that we didn't know were back there and process them. Sometimes they throw them out. You know, sometimes we hold those hard feelings in the back and they need to be processed. And that's what people use the float tank for. Some people use it to stretch. You can do some extremely different stretches in the float tank. And, and, you know, at our center, we allow people to listen to audiobooks or podcasts or music if we choose. Um, but some people simply do nothing. They go into their float with no expectations, not expecting to get anything in return, not expecting to blast off to another dimension. They go in there to simply do nothing. So that's part of the practice of floating. That's why... We at the float chat call it the practice of floating is it's something that you have to really see what works best for you. It can vary from a morning float to an afternoon float to an evening float. Um, when people ask what to do, tell them to come out of their float and give you that answer after mm-hmm. figure out what they can do. Um, it's almost limitless in there when you do, you know, look inwards to the mind like that, but it is very, uh, it is a very difficult answer or question to answer for somebody who has never even seen a float tank or doesn't really understand the concept. But it's kind of like telling somebody how to kiss. It's like, mm. Almost, yeah. But it's. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Amy and Lance are describing very very similar things. I think in, they're hitting the nail on the head. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to start charging you right now. Uh, for this consulting time, and uh, I think I th- I think what they're what I see them getting at is just that um, managing expectation. Uh, I don't know if you're going in for a massage and it's your first massage. You know, you let them know you're not also getting cake while you're in there, and you're also not getting a swift kick to the crotch. You know, it's it's somewhere in between these things, just so they they actually know what to expect from that. Okay, that was a little random, Amy shaking her head. But but what I'm getting at is the same thing with with the float. You want to do your best to educate them as much as you can of what this experience actually is. I'm not a huge fan of it. 
you should just completely let it be its own thing. I think that discovery can be fun and interesting, and I also think you can lose a lot of people that way because they are choosing to do something, and the mystery is fun, and, and, and it has been fun in the past, but really, we want this to be something like Massage, where people really do know what to expect when they're getting in there. And no, it's not going to be the same thing every time, but there's something... Um, th there are maybe even not quantifiable things, but there are things to be expected, or that can happen in a float tank. And um, I think you just want to bring people into that range, whether they know nothing when they first come in, to bring them up a little bit, or if they were listening to Joe Rogan and they think they're going to be seeing alien symbols and, and talking to aliens, then you know maybe that'll happen, but also let me, let me bring you <laughs> Probably in. a lot of <laughs> edible marijuana, too. <laughs> Perhaps some THC involved. I don't know. But so, yeah, I, you know, just kind of bringing them in um, as just like a short answer. And really, I just want to back up with a what Amy and Lance said. And then the other thing about the water or what, what senses are we limiting, I think that's up to you. I think uh, everything is on a spectrum and uh, satisfaction will, uh, client satisfaction will kind of determine what is successful or not. If if we're calling it floating, you know, we don't necessarily call it sensory deprivation. Um, that gives you a little bit of leeway. Um, you're, you're still going to be hearing the blood flowing through your ears and even in an ideal situation. Um, so, you know, if it smells like a, a locker room, some people aren't going to care about that and some people are. And so you're just going to determine um, your own client base based off those things and probably uh, determine a bigger piece of the quote-unquote pie of the, of the customer base uh, based on how far down that spectrum you get, is my opinion. That's true, because some people do want every possible surface to be wet during their, their visit. <laughs> there's, there's a market for everyone. Right, exactly. So um, does that, do you feel like that answered your question? Well, I, you've told me that there isn't a simple answer to that question, <laughs> and that we'll also have to figure out what exactly to say. But it is a, sure. this, this dance of being a guide, being a facilitator, mm. but not being so directive that we we force people into a false experience, or at least mm -hmm. a limited one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's something that that uh, concerns me because yeah, I don't. I, I hate hearing about people going in. They're like, oh, I didn't even know you know that thing was a neck pillow. I had no idea what that was for, <laughs> or I didn't know what to do with my arms. That that always just uh, kills me that they could have gotten let let go sooner or potentially didn't have a positive experience because of a lack of information. Mm -hmm. I also don't like the idea of programming their floats. I, I hate the idea of us creating it for them as well. I think there is an art to gently handing it over to them without giving it momentum uh, or without them needing to reach out and grab it and cause momentum that way. Just this really delicate handoff. And that's the art of floating right now. I mean, that's where we are at. We, we are on this frontier. We, we talk about it every once in a while that, you know, this isn't established yet. We're figuring these thing, things out on our own. And this, this is the art that we're, we're working on. I forget this is a frontier. I forget right. that because it feels like, <laughs> yeah. are, people, have, are people over this yet? No, it, it, hasn't, even, <laughs> it hasn't even blossomed yet. It's yeah. just beginning to. It is just beginning to. It's, it's so much fun to be be part of this yeah. yeah figuring it out well guys uh first of all aaron thank you so much for joining us even all the way into the next day <laughs> thanks for staying late with us welcome to tomorrow yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun for me, and uh, I, I have a feeling this is going to be really good for other people starting their float centers or thinking about starting their float centers. I hope a place to float is a place to start uh, for, for people. So um, thank you so much for laying everything out like that and, and um, yeah, just not holding anything back. I really appreciate that. And I think our, our, our people will as well, our, our listeners. So thank you. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping here. Again, um, Art of the Float is where you can find us on social media. We love it when people subscribe to us on iTunes. If, you, if you're getting something out of this, go ahead and subscribe so you can get the latest episodes coming out. Um, and, of course, uh, if uh, you go to artofthefloat.com, you can also bookmark Amazon uh, as an affiliate link. Whenever you go to Amazon, anything you purchase will send a couple cents our way, and slowly those things build up to improve our audio quality here out of our little home studios. So thank you to everybody who is subscribing. It has made a tremendous difference uh, for us recording here. And uh, thank you to anybody who subscribes today while they're listening to this. I think that's about it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, it's, it's been a wonderful year. We're going into year number two here, and uh, we, we're just so excited and, and proud to be doing this, and we love the feedback. So uh, thanks, everybody. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say, speaking of feedback, is if you get something out of this episode, um, like it on Facebook or like it on um, iTunes, whatever it is, show us. We, we love seeing what you guys respond to. We can see downloads, and that's an indication, but it doesn't mean you finished the episode. You know, It, it kind of leaves us uh, kind of half knowing what you guys think about a show. So if, if you like a particular episode, let us know on Facebook, let us know on Twitter, email us, SpeakPipe, um, whatever it is, extend something our way. It really helps us know what, what you guys want out of this show because we, we do love making it, and we want to make it for you. So, again, remember, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing, so I implore you to spend some time there. Have a great week. You're listening to Art of the Float. 